to our Owen podcast, a podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network. I'm Dr. Cynthia Miltenberg, co-lead of the Owen Bovine Network. Joining me today is Dr. Jamie Amata. Welcome, Jamie. Hi, thanks for having me. Really happy that you have this opportunity to come talk to you. Jamie is a veterinarian who recently completed his PhD thesis focused on Yoni's disease control on Ontario dairy farms. Jamie has recently joined the Canadian Food Inspections Agency as a veterinary science specialist. So to get started today, Jamie, I think maybe we'll just do a quick recap. What is Yoni's disease and the agent that causes it, Mycobacterium avium paratuberculosis? Well, I, I think let's uh, start off with maybe short forming it and let's call it MAP. Um, the MAP is an intracellular bacteria that typically infects young calves through the fecal oral route. <clears throat> so that's sort of like our contaminated milk or colostrum. So whether it's through the collection process or straight off the cow's udder and teat. Um, so typically this bacteria will hide in the body's macrophages and then sort of come out, comes out and manifests itself uh, in clinical signs years later. Uh, this is typically around sort of times of physiologic stress, so let's say like calving. Um, it's a progressive disease, so a gran technically called the granulomatous enteritis, uh, resulting in, in progressive diarrhea. So you'll have animals that have uh, increased hunger, uh, increased thirst, but they'll be losing weight. They'll also have progressively worsening diarrhea, uh, leading up to like a water hose diarrhea. And that's all uh, leading to emaciation and eventually death. Um, there is some research out there that talks about uh, reductions in uh, reproduction um, or reproductive capacity for these animals as well. So you've, you've kind of described for us what it is. How, how common a disease is it, maybe speaking from an Ontario perspective and also just um, more broadly? <laughs> well, from my work, it seems that it's pretty common. Um, there's various ways that it has been measured across the province of Ontario. Um, there was, I think, fecal cultures done a few years back that was estimating prevalence. And this might have been actually nationwide that was almost 50%. Um, my particular thesis looked through the lens of bulk tank milk sampling. And uh, the prevalence had actually increased in the province. Um, but I guess to make a long answer short, it's, it's quite prevalent. There's um, not very many countries around the world that have been able to claim a disease-free status in terms of yonis. Um, and I would say majority of them are probably over 20% of their herd prevalence, 20% herd prevalence. So pretty common. And then it's within herds, common. yes. And then within herds, how common would it be um, for an affected herd? There so, there? Um, yeah, there is a range. Um, typically, it, it's believed to be fairly low of, uh, within herd prevalence uh, disease. So I think somewhere between 3 and 7%. Um, obviously, it depends on the management practices within those herds, the size of the herds as well. Um, and this is more speaking along the lines of our dairy herds. Within the beef herds, it's a little bit less or expected to be less. Well, that, that brings up a good point is that beef herds are also at risk of this disease. Um, do you have any estimates on the prevalence of Yoni's disease for our uh, beef herds as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 considered to be quite low. Um, I had to go back and look at what I had found in my literature search, but there, I think it was probably less than one percent of uh, within herd prevalence. Um, and I think you know maybe looking at sort of how those production systems operate, right? Whether or not you have um, the feedlots that might have animals that are not that old compared to the dairy animals. Obviously, this isn't true for cow-calf operations that can get some older animals, but possibly also due to the fact that maybe they're a little bit more expansive than the intensive sort of rearing that dairy operations usually undergo. So let's talk about the Yoni's Control Program. So when I graduated from vet school, the Yoni's Control Program had just started on Ontario, and I spent a bunch of my early career um, doing Yoni's risk assessment um, plans with the dairy producers. Can you give a little overview? Because I know your research looked at kind of where we've come since then. So let's start with what we did in that um, 2010 10 to 2013 window. Yeah, so like you said, it, it was in 2010 to 2013. Uh, it was the Ontario Yoni's Education and Management Assistance Program. So they short formed it OGMAP, and it was a voluntary program for producers to participate in. Um, so it involved a few things. So it had the whole herd individual animal testing um, using milk or serum ELISA with the subsequent removal of any animals that came back as a high positive uh, on those ELISA tests, as well as a risk, uh, risk assessment and management plan or RAMP. Um, so these risk assessments were sort of one of the core features of this program, and they were um, a risk assessment that was done with the producer and their veterinarian, and basically you'd go and uh, assess the farm um, in five different management areas. And that was the cattle purchasing behavior, the management of the maternity pen, the management of pre-weaned calves, uh, management of the weaned and bred heifers, and then the management of uh, the milking and dry cows. And through all those, those five areas, they were all given scores depending on certain criteria. And at the end, the whole risk assessment was summed up and you'd have uh, higher scores associated with a higher risk of Yoni's transmission. And veterinarians were also given the opportunity uh, with those risk assessment and management plans to give their producers up to three different recommendations and how they might be able to sort of reduce their risk of Yoni's disease. And I mean, maybe if I step back a little bit, I can, I can kind of define the fact that majority of the risk for Yoni's introduction and transmission is through either introducing cows of an unknown disease status into your herd and through what I mentioned before the cleanliness so the fecal oral route of transmission within a herd um, so really that those risk assessments were meant to sort of gauge those two risk pathways and and give a farm some sort of quantitative uh, level of risk for Yoni's disease and at, I guess at the end of that uh, program there was province-wide bulk tank milk testing that was done just to sort of assess um, through bulk tank analysis sort of where where our province was in terms of prevalence. 
So you followed up with a number of farms that had participated originally in the Yoni's Disease Program. What were your goals um, as part of following up with these herds when you did that approximately five years later? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I think it, it sort of stemmed from the beginning of my project. So like I mentioned, in 2013, we had that province-wide bulk tank test that was done. Um, and then 2017, uh, another province-wide test was done. And just from looking at those results, we could see that the prevalence had increased. Um, I think it was 46% uh, um, bulk tanks tested positive in 2013, and then somewhere close to 71 or 72% were positive in 2017. Um, so the, the whole goal behind doing a repeat risk assessment with a, a select number of farms was to sort of see what might have changed on those farms that might explain why there was such a, well, say a dramatic increase in the apparent prevalence of bulk tank positivity. Yeah, because that's not the direction we would have hoped things were going in. That's, no. for, <laughs> that's for sure. It's a surprising result that, you know, a couple of years later, we have not um, yeah. met, met the initial targets, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So specifically, you looked then at management practices between the farms as you collected um, from the repeating the ramps with, with these yeah. farms. What had changed, like both better and, and for the worse? So um, I think one of the most promising pieces to the follow-up risk assessment was the fact that we, we could see that less producers were actually purchasing cattle. And that's obviously a big risk factor. Um, those that were purchasing seemed to indicate that they were purchasing either from a single source. So instead of trying to pull from multiple sources, and they're also sourcing out younger animals versus mature cows. And I think um, the interesting part to that um, is that that's one of the, one of the big recommendations, uh, one of the more frequent recommendations that were given when the original program had rolled out was to close off the herd. Um, so I think that that's that was the good part. Um, I think there are still some challenges around um, the maternity pen. So we did find that compared to 2013, um, our follow-up risk assessments showed that there was more producers that were calving multiple cows in the pen at the same time. And obviously that increases the risks of contamination of that environment. Um, they're also keeping their calves with their dams for longer, um, than sort of the 30 minutes that's sort of recommended. Um, but there were more producers that were acknowledging that they were, they had separate protocols for, to make sure that they were keeping their sick and lame cows out of those maternity pens, which is great. Um, lots of changes, <laughs> things, lots, lots and lots of changes. So there's also like the management of the calves, right? Um, more producers were feeding uh, more colostrum as well as that, the colostrum that they were feeding was uh, at a lower risk than maybe than the years before. Um, I believe there were more producers that were uh, group housing their calves. So in terms of the Yoni's lens, that, that's at a higher risk because you have more contamination potentially. And if there's one calf that's even contaminated from 
her dam and then the other calf licks it and then you have that sort of transmission pathway there. Um, and in general, it, it seemed that the heifer cleanliness had decreased from the original uh, risk assessment in 2013. Heifer cleanliness meeting those like breeding age heifers or? Yeah, so this, this, this would be speaking sort of to the general um, cleanliness of both weaned and bred heifers because this was the sort of the scoring um, for that section, that, that separate section that assessed both the weaned and bred. Um, but yeah, I think the, the bred heifers did have, um, in general, a decreased cleanliness score. Do you have any idea why that would happen over time? Had the housing changed at all or? That was one thing that probably could have been uh, a nice piece of information to pick up with the follow-up risk assessments. I mean, when we rolled these out, it was simply just to follow up and do the risk assessment. But there are some factors in retrospect that you, you really wish that you could have captured. Um, I mean, I think some of the challenges with risk assessments, and I, I speak to this a little bit in the thesis, was the fact that they, they can be a, a slightly biased, right? Depending on who you, who does it, um, their familiarity with the farm and the farmer. Um, so I think, you know, we aim for consistency in the years that we do it, but that's not necessarily across the years either, right? So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so I think in, in general, it could have just been the fact that some someone scored cleanliness a little bit differently in 2013 than they did in 2017. That's fair enough season and all these things might have an impact yeah well. and it depends on the season yeah and and i mean really depending on how the the availability of bedding too right like mm -hmm. it's all very <laughs> it's one of those things that's it's a it's a it's a use i think it's a powerful tool um but you do have to be wary of its limitations well thank you for speaking to that because it's an important point we've we've adopted risk assessment you know protocols in lots of scenarios but um, there are some challenges to their use in addition to their, their benefits. At the beginning of when we were speaking, you mentioned about bulk tank milk being used to monitor that um, yoni's prevalence in, in our herds. Can you just speak a little bit more to that test and uh, you know, particularly its advantages and disadvantages? I don't think until recently producers and veterinarians were very used to seeing a bulk tank yonis test so that might be really helpful to um to discuss yeah sure i can give you as much detail as as, <laughs> as i've learned um but really the bulk tank milk test um is something that can be used it's it's it, I don't want to be too down on it because it, it was part of my thesis and I think it is a useful test. Um, but again, like anything, you need to be uh, cognizant of w w the challenges in using it. And I think one of the big challenges with the bulk tank test is that you miss any animals that aren't in the bulk tank. So, you know, dry cows or cows that have been pulled because they've been treated, um, they're all going to be missed. Um, there's also problems with the dilution factor, right? So if you have even if you had multiple cows, if they're all um, if they're all only screened small amounts of the antibody, you're not going to pick them up. Um, the same if you had a really high shedding cow, but it's in a really huge dairy, you're, you might not pick it up. Um, 
So I think that's one of the big risks is that you can have um, false negatives with this test. Um, there's also the small possibility of having cross-reactivity with it, although I'm not sure how, how common that has been demonstrated. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in terms of a pool test like the bulk tank, um, I'm not, I, I think it's a valuable tool to evaluate the progress of a program. So we can see general trends and see how things change. It gets a little bit more challenging to use it on an individual herd basis. That being said, I do think it would be a useful tool for producers because you know, who wants to run a full herd test if they're not sure if there's anything? If, but if you do get a positive bulk tank, maybe it's enough incentive for you to, to try, try out some more deeper investigation. But I, 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 there are very um, specific limitations to the test. Right, of course. And in addition, the just long incubation period to this disease is, is um, a bit tricky. So, so do you think it's a research test or do you think it's um, in, in control programs in the future somewhere? Well, you know what? I, I'm going to be hopeful and say that I, I, I'd like it to be part of the control programs in the future. I think, I, and I think it's, it can be used in both scenarios, just um, like we said before, being cognizant of how the results need to be interpreted. Really. Let's talk a little bit about other testing strategies then. Um, you mentioned as part of the Yoni's control pick program, we were doing individual serum or milk tests. Um, still, still a recommended strategy, um, but maybe not done as much as it could be. <laughs> Do you, um, we, we did a little summary um, of, from the OWA network a few years ago, actually, maybe two years ago where we summarized all the Yoni's tests that had been done in the last year, both um, from the laboratories in Ontario, from serum and milk. And we, we saw with milk, it, we suspected herds were doing more whole herd testing. And with serum, some of the testing looked like it had been probably, um, you know, targeted for different purposes, whether it was just some animals for sale or some animals for purchase or just wondering about some dry cows or something. Um, so it does seem like people are still doing it. Still the best recommended strategy yeah. in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think there are ways that um, that people may be able to target. It all comes down to really resources um, and ease of application of that strategy, right? And I think the milk Eliza's really fit the bill in terms of ease. Um, and it's just a matter of when when producers want to start taking them. So, you know, whether or not they're aiming to get those milkalyzes done early in the lactation versus at peak, because when you're at peak, you're obviously at a lower risk of getting a positive animal called positive. Um, so I think, you know, if 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 those milkalyzes are targeted at the right time frame, you're at a higher probability of getting a correct result. Um, but yeah, I think um, really, it, it it differs across the board of how people have been using them, but I do think they're still quite valuable in terms of this this particular disease control. So I thought a really neat part of your thesis when I read it was that you had the opportunity to interview uh, dairy producers directly and speak to them um, about their 
Yoni's disease control experience and both their motivations for pursuing the strategies that they have in their herds um, and the barriers to them um, to adopt these recommendations. Um, I, I heard you say earlier, a lot of people had re been recommended to uh, close their herd or not purchase animals. And I'm one of those people who wrote that recommendation on a lot of forms um, at the time in that um, program. So you, for the producers who weren't really following the, the recommendations or even more broadly a, a Yoni's control strategy, what, what did you hear from them? I think the big thing, and it's probably no surprise to a lot of the, the veterinarians out there, but it's a silent disease. People don't see it. Usually these animals typically are called out um, because of a different reason before they actually get to that water hose diarrhea. Um, so in short, like the producers don't see it. They don't see the economic losses from it and they don't see you know, really, and that was one of the reasons why they wouldn't test anymore because they don't see the value in it. There's no value to them if if their cows are looking healthy and they're milking normally. Um, and then again, these animals are removed for other reasons before it gets to that point anyways. So I think that was the, the biggest one. Um, I mean, I think sometimes there there was sort of this notion that some of the the recommendations that were given don't really um, fit in terms of the whole um, premise plan like it just doesn't work with their their labor or it doesn't work with um, with the infrastructure they have in place and I think like that's that's sort of been a, a common um, thing that's been sort of written about recently in, in terms of the literature, right, about how we really need to work alongside producers to understand sort of where they're at, to be able to come up with appropriate recommendations and things that they'll they'll want to do or if they see the value in. And from the producers who were still really actively engaged in a Yoni's disease control program, why did they choose to continue to adopt those strategies and continue them long term? I think from these, those producers, um, they all, uh, most of them, I think, gave sort of, um, um, uh, what's the word, mentality towards like really super um, progressive disease monitoring strategies. So they were sort of on the radar for any sort of infectious disease. They really wanted to keep on top of those. Um, they all sort of cited their desire to make sure that they were able to produce uh, clean, safe milk for human consumption. Um, there was obviously sort of that uh, mention of the human, the potential human health hazard um, that mycobacterium avium tuberculosis um, sort of uh, might be connected to. Um, but I think really um, a lot of them a lot of them had kind of taken, been taken up with the, the voluntary control program and really liked how things are running. And they, they made the connection as well to the fact that a lot of diseases are connected when, when you talk about fecal oral transmission of paratuberculosis. So they realize that when you're 
aiming for yonis, you also hit a lot of other targets. Right. We, we do hear that a lot too. I, at least I do in my role on that, you know, we, when we control yonis disease, we're also controlling a lot of neonatal diarrhea pathogens or risk for salmonella Dublin and, and, um, other concerns. So that's, uh, that's interesting to hear that that was noted. So what would you, how would you sum up your thesis and, and what you learned, Jamie? Can you put, <laughs> can you put several years this... into a couple of lines? That might be challenging. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think like, you know, in the grand scheme of that thesis, uh, my thesis was that you know, Yoni's is a very challenging disease, no question about it. The long incubation period um, really, and, and the fact that our tests aren't 100% sensitive, really makes makes control of the disease challenging. Um, I think there's lots of opportunities present to lower um, the incidence of disease. And I think it's something that really needs to be considered, especially considering that um, you know, our province-wide prevalence uh, looks to be increasing. Um, I think, you know, when we when we talk about um, the roles of veterinarians um, or the roles, uh, combined roles of veterinarians and producers and how we can try to control this jointly um, really revolves around having um, good discussions. And I think that's sort of, I try to, uh, highlight that in the thesis is that you know we we can use risk assessments as tools and and frequent tools at that like these should be done on at least an annual basis to sort of go over the management practices that are happening on the farm have have a discussion sort of understand understanding the producer's perspective and sort of the challenges that they're facing and then you know coming up with a collaborative approach on how we might be able to uh, reduce those risks and and Sometimes that actually means that you really need to think hard and be creative about the solutions that you you find for it. Thanks, Jamie. I think that's really really excellent for for us to all to all think about. We have our maybe five or six game plan easy things we always tell producers, but there's there's a blueprint to dairy farms, but there's a lot of differences in between them, and and meeting producers where they're at has a lot of value. Do you think? Broadly, as an industry, how do we how do we support ongoing Yoni's disease control? Given that uh, we haven't made maybe to date the progress we'd hoped we would have made by now. Yeah, I'm, it, it's it's obviously a very complex question, and I don't think there's an easy answer to it. I think it does require some sort of um, financial support from the industry and from the government or you know, whatever bodies might be able to support our producers because it's not like, you know, we do need to test. You need to test to know which animals are infected by it. But it's a hard, a really hard sell to get someone who doesn't see disease to actually want to invest in that. Like it, and I don't blame them. Like it doesn't really make a lot of sense from their perspective. But if we, if we as a collective want to make sure that we make a dent in this, then there needs to be some some give and take, right? And we need to be able to help producers along this path and sort of get get things going. Whether or not that's, you know, compensating whole herd tests like they did for the program or, you know, giving them something to go off, like I mentioned, like a bulk tank test so that they can at least see because 
like I said, if you, if you don't see it, there's no way you're going to know it. I appreciate that. Jimmy, I want to thank you for joining me today and speaking about your research. It's really lovely to hear the results of your study, um, especially because much of your work was completed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we weren't able to be out and, and seeing you speak and um, release some of these results along the way um, in some of the formats we might have seen you in otherwise. So just want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day uh, to do this with me. No, no, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been it's been great. Uh, always, always excited to share the Yoni's news. <laughs> thanks, Jamie. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today for this Bovine Owen podcast. For more information about the Owen Species Networks or to access our veterinary and producer quarterly reports and other resources, check out our website at Owen.